If you've ever been listening to this show and heard something that Fitz said and then tweeted Ian Fitzsimmons about it, well, you're in luck because tonight it actually will be Ian Fitzsimmons and not the other Fitz. It's Spain and Fitzsimmons tonight here on ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guest going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And we got a lot of QB news. In fact, I don't know what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks if we're not arguing about who should start. We've already found out who will. I guess now we'll spend our time debating whether we think the right choice was made. Ian, first of all, nice to have you. I heard Freddie on Shanae and Golick Jr. Who will be manning the ship tonight? Uh, the Padres. Okay, perfect. <laughs> nice. Uh, it seems like a like a good substitution. I'll, I would take it if I were you. Tatis Jr. and company try to hold it down against the Dodgers later on tonight on ESPN Radio. I probably should know that, but I mostly just pay attention to what's directly in I front get of it. me. Trust me. That's Sarah. the only way I'm I get by. <laughs> uh, let's talk about these QB decisions, and I want to start with Trevor Lawrence. This is not a surprise that the Jags ended up naming their number one pick, the guy who's the future of the franchise. But what I will say is of the decisions around who will start and sit of the rookie quarterbacks, I might be the most torn on this one for a couple reasons. Number one, obviously that offensive line, will he get killed behind it? Would he be better served giving them a couple games at least with Gardner Minshew behind them in order to get some continuity where he won't feel so rushed? And secondly, he has not looked super strong. I have no doubt about his future long-term, but he has looked like things are moving very fast. You've heard from a number of people, and I think Max Kellerman is leading the way on throwout Gardner Minshew as a tackling dummy. And then you've heard from Jeff Darlington and Jeff Saturday on why he needs to just get out there and get reps. In fact, here's Jeff Saturday today on Barton Hahn talking about Lawrence needing to start. I think we've got that sound. Perhaps we do not. Let's start Trevor's with your take. Have to learn oh, there to we get go. rid of the football and, and not be a statue in the pocket. Um, you know, you got to let the ball go on time, you know, so, so that you don't take sacks or even hits, right, and learn to play the next play. And I think, um, you know, I, le- I learned that with Peyton Manning, honestly, for so many years. It's, it was, a, you know, a count in your head of 1-1,000, 2-1,000, throw it away, right? Live to play the next play. So which side are you on? Get him out there and learn, even if it means learning to move the ball out of your hands fast, or give him a little more time uh, to get gelled before you send Trevor Lawrence behind that line. Sarah, I'm I'm all about go play. Uh, I'm I'm with Jeff, one million percent. And and Trevor Lawrence has actually said, you know, he's holding the ball too long, uh, and he has to just go ahead and trust his read and get rid of it. And behind that offensive line, you cannot afford to hold the ball for, for a nanosecond too long. Uh, and I, I talked to one coach who said it's about a quarter of a second to a half a second. That that it has a little hitch right now. Like yeah, just just trust the read and let it go, let let it rip. And also, I go back to something Troy Aikman said years ago when he was a rookie coming out of UCLA. Now this like, dude is in Canton, right? And he went 0 and 11 as a rookie, over, mm-hmm. and got his brains beaten in. But when they finally got an O-line, when they brought, you know, they got Nate Newton and those big hog mollies up front, right, and then Daryl Moose Johnston and Emmett Smith out of Florida, you know, it was, all right, after getting his brains beaten in, Sarah, and, and everything just flashing at him, the game was so much slower once they got talent around him. Now, imagine with the, with the ability that Trevor Lawrence has 
And that same thing that Troy Aikman just said. Now, I'm not comparing Trevor Lawrence to Troy Aikman, but I'm talking about the speed of the game and what he's seeing. It will, as long as he doesn't get crushed, right? And that, that goes back to, as he said, he's holding on to the ball a little mm-hmm. too long. Get rid of the football, but the game is going to slow down so much for him. I'm with Jeff Saturday. Go out there, play. You're getting paid to play. And, you know, don't hold the ball too long. And I think down the road, meaning starting next year and year three, it is going to pay massive dividends for Trevor yeah. Lawrence at the next I'm, level. I mostly agree with you. Uh, the Burroughs cautionary tale it looms large for me in this case. Um, and I also think some of those examples are quarterbacks from a slightly different era. And some of the more recent versions of guys that haven't recovered quickly from a really poor showing in their first season uh, make me question if things have changed a bit. But I mostly agree with you on that. I'm still a little torn on Lawrence, particularly because of just how bad that Jags team is. And Let me ask you this, Sarah. Etienne. If, if Burrow doesn't get hurt last year, how, how much would, would, would your opinion be different? Uh, it wouldn't really because I think we have this conversation every time. Um, it, it, I think I'm always a little bit more hesitant about rookies picking up bad habits and losing their swag than other people are. Um, I'm a little bit more patient, but I had to be because I'm a Bears fan. I've been waiting the franchise history for a quarterback. It's Bain and Ian Fitzsimmons on ESPN Radio. Let's talk about Teddy Bridgewater getting the start. Dan Orlovsky was on SportsCenter tonight reacting to the news that he gets the job over Locke. Here's what he said. Vic Fangio, their head coach, is a defensive-minded head coach, and he knows this is a really, really good defense, probably a top six or seven unit. He is not going to go into a game or this season thinking, we're going to lose them because our quarterback gave the ball away. He's going to say we're going to play great defense, good special teams, and we just need our quarterback to not give the game away and be a distributor. And I believe that there's five guys on this offense, Matt, that are like ready to become breakout stars, skill position-wise. Javante Williams out of North Carolina, the draft pick at tailback. I absolutely love. Their tight end, Noah Fant, I think is becoming a star at that position. Then those three receivers, Cortland Sutton, the big receiver, coming back from the ACL tear, Jerry Judy, and Kai, um, KJ, KJ Hamler. Yeah. I mean, those are five guys that as a quarterback, all you got to do is distribute. You don't have to be special. Just distribute, not give the ball away. I think because of this decision to play Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater, this is a playoff caliber football team. You know, Bridgewater hasn't played a ton in the preseason, but he's been spectacular. 141 quarterback rating, no turnovers, no sacks taken. With him under center, the team scored three touchdowns and a field goal. Would have had another touchdown were it not for a penalty. Meanwhile, you've got a guy in Drew Locke that was tied for the most interceptions in the NFL last season, was last in the league starters in completion percentage, and just didn't take enough steps forward to win the job. I think this is a no-brainer. I think it's what Vic Fangio needs to do to keep his job and move forward, but you're of the opinion that Locke's got something in there that maybe they should be looking for still? Yeah, I'm a Teddy Bridgewater guy. Uh, I, I love the person and the player. Uh, going back, The way he's come back from that injury yeah. he suffered in Minnesota, it, it's, it's remarkable. And what he learned being in New Orleans with my Saints uh, behind Drew Brees and Sean Payton, you can see it, it's paid dividends. But Peyton Manning is not wasting his time working out with you know Drew Locke. I mean, 18 is not going to say, you know what, if he doesn't believe in a guy and doesn't think the guy has ability – Peyton Manning's not going to waste his time on him, and they spent a lot of time together during the offseason. Drew Locke now is the backup. Teddy Bridgewater is on a one-year, I think around a $12 million contract. But Drew Locke, if it's not in Denver, I still believe somebody is going to get one heck of a quarterback because 
one reason, and one reason only, Sarah. That dude named Manning, first name Peyton, mm-hmm. is not going to waste his time on someone he doesn't think has remarkable ability and the ability to play at a high level in the National Football League. Not a bad seal of approval to get from a Manning. It's Spain and Fitzsimmons. Ian Fitzsimmons in for Fitz tonight. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle auto, home, or motorcycle insurance. Visit Progressive.com. Really quickly, your take on Joe Burrow getting a, a preseason my guy. Set, of, set of snaps. You're okay yeah. with that? I, hey, I'm fine with it. I mean, look, uh, Joey B, I mean, I, I love him to death. I, I covered him probably a dozen times in his two years at LSU. Um, and he's a competitor. If he feels, hey, the knee's ready and I want to get hit, let him go out there and test it. And as a matter of fact, I would recommend that same thing for Dak Prescott with the Dallas Cowboys, Mm -hmm. Sarah. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, uh, as Monica McNutt said on ATH today, scared money don't make money. He's going to be at risk. That's (laughs) the nature of the sport. And if he says mentally the biggest hurdle is the idea of defensive players getting too close to him, get that out of the way and a little bit of preseason action before the first game really gets going. Coming up on Spain and Fitzsimmons, the alliance that's turning heads and keeping schools looking over their shoulders. It's coming up next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. So I was doing around the horn today, and uh, my illustrious peers – And I uh, always do a call in the morning talking about a a handful of topics for the day, trying to figure out what we're most interested in. And I have to admit, we got teed up on the College Football Alliance, something we spent a lot of yesterday talking about on a variety of other shows, highly questionable, this show right here, SportsCenter, et cetera. And my compatriots didn't have a lot. They weren't particularly interested in it. And that's a refrain I've heard from a number of people. If you're listening to this radio show or this station all day, you'll hear Jason Fitz, the usual Fitz on this show, saying that there's not a lot to it besides some, besides some machinations for governance and maybe some scheduling. I think it goes a lot deeper than that. And while it's based on some looking deep into the eyes and handshakes that has everyone a little bit worried, I still think there's some power to be gained from joining forces. And if we dive a little deeper, we can find out a lot more about this. We're going to do that because we've got an expert on the topic here today, Ian Fitzsimmons, filling in for Jason Fitz. So it's Spain and Fitzsimmons on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. So I did a deep dive on this because college football is not my wheelhouse, and I had to talk about it as if it was. I thought it was a fascinating look at the power structures and how far ahead perhaps these conferences are looking at the future of college football and the power dynamics that are currently owned by the SEC and, frankly, ESPN's involvement with the SEC and the college football playoff. When you hear that some people think, eh, not that big of a deal, what's your response to that? They're, they're so far off. Uh, this, this impacts every single school, Sarah, from the Pacific to the Atlantic, from the Canadian border to the Rio Grande. I mean, it's Alabama to Akron. Every single school is impacted by this. At, at every level. Uh, and th- this whole, uh, quote, alliance was put in place to put the SEC in check. And when, 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 we, when I talked to Greg Sankey two and a half, year, uh, two and a half weeks ago, uh, commissioner of the SEC, and I've known him a long time, and he's never, ever, ever steered me wrong. And he said, Texas and Oklahoma approached me. They approached us. We, we didn't go seeking them. But when that move was done, and, and if he would have turned them down, Sarah – I would have gotten on a plane, flown to Birmingham, Alabama, where SEC headquarters is, and punched him right in the face. Because you you can't turn (laughs) down Texas and OU, right? You can't do it. It's impossible. Even if it's for the betterment of the game, 
you are not as the SEC commissioner saying no to Texas and no to Oklahoma. Now you have the first true super conference. It's done. I mean, there's your first one. So now this, quote, alliance that has been formed between the Big Ten and ACC uh, and Pac-12, it was all about putting the SEC in check. And the next college football playoff expansion meeting, they have a sharper sword. At least they think they do. Mm-hmm. But, Sarah, to me, this whole this whole alliance – and remember, folks, we are three to four years away from the start of this alliance. It's, all, it's, it's, a, it's a house built on a foundation of sand, a gentleman's agreement with between 41 <laughs> schools in men's and women's basketball and 40 schools, right, when you exclude Notre Dame from the football conversation, 40? Come Presidents. on, Coach. 40 athletic directors, Look, 40 ask Bob, different. Yeah. Yeah. Ask Bob Bowlesby right now what a gentleman's agreement does. That's what I was going to say. If we needed an example, we don't have to look that far <laughs> back to a bunch of meetings that were happening, and then two days later, hey, see ya, we're headed to the SEC. I bet you've asked a lot of those people a week before that if they thought they might be, you know, the rug would, would be pulled out from under them by the folks in their own conference, not to mention in other conferences, they would say, no, we're good. We all have a gentleman's agreement. But everybody's watching and everybody's paying attention. And every athletic director, every head coach is having to deal with this right now. But but to your point right there, yeah, I mean, Bob Bowlesby not only had a gentleman's agreement with Texas and Oklahoma, but he had a damn legal document. Mm-hmm. That is, is right now, there are big boy attorneys that are looking to rip that sucker up uh, for whatever their dollar amount is, you know, uh, because they, there's no doubt in my mind that Texas and Oklahoma will be in the SEC by 2023 at the latest, you know, even though they're not scheduled to be there until their grant of rights is over in 2025. But think about this. You're going in with a gentleman's agreement with this alliance. And just last year, Around this time, Sarah, Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, one of the guys that you're in a gentleman's agreement with, right, was on a conference call with the other four Power Five commissioners. And they were all talking about, hey, when it comes to COVID, we're not going to jump the gun. We're all going to do this together. We're all going to be in alliance, right? It was right there in your home city of Chicago where he is based. And they're all going, yep, we're good. We're all going to do this in unison. And later – if I'm not mistaken, later that same day, if not the next day, but it, it was within 24 hours of that gentleman's agreement that Kevin Warren, the attorney of this group, well, you have MGM George, right, George Klyovkov, the new Pac-12 commissioner who was a president at MGM Grand. You have a former AD at Northwestern who's a man I immensely respect in Jim Phillips. I don't know Kevin Warren very well, but I know this. He's an attorney, and – Within 24 hours of that conversation, that gentleman's agreement they had a year ago, you know what he did? Nah. Yeah. We're, we're out. We're gone. We're not going to play football. And then told everybody, uh, well, there's no shot we're playing ball. And then what do they end up doing? Playing ball. So, gentleman's agreements, man, that's the hole in the net here. But, but again – Every school is impacted because they're all watching to see if this alliance can work, if it will work. But if you're going to tell me that 40 schools, just on the football terms, are going to survive in this alliance on a gentleman's agreement, (laughs) okay, good luck, Sarah. It ain't going to happen. Spain and Fitz, Ian Fitzsimmons, filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio. 
Uh, make sure to listen to us on the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can get it on ESPN, Apple, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Anything you missed, uh, subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Okay, so here's a perfect example. In the middle of our conversation, at jmoney1284 on Twitter, come on, guys, this alliance thing is a joke. Yeah, we're so excited to see Wake Forest potentially match up with Indiana. Holy cow, ha, ha. This is my point. The average person is thinking about the first thing that comes to mind, which is matchups. Okay, we'll play eight conference games. We'll get to mix it up with some other conference teams a little bit more often. Or they're thinking college football playoff. What does this mean for that? They are not thinking behind the scenes, governance and voting on the major shifts that college football could take in the future. That's where this all lies to me. Yes, of course, it's sexy to talk about the games and matchups. But more importantly, this was these conferences humbling themselves to say, we cannot stand up to not only Greg Sankey and the SEC, but Greg Sankey and the SEC and ESPN having the rights to college football playoff and what that means for the future and for our TV rights partners. There's a lot more to this than the surface. And when you laugh about it just being about a couple more conference, you know, out of conference matchups, you're missing that there needed to be a consolidation of power in order for those votes to go in the direction that wouldn't always just serve the SEC. Look, this is, as one Pac-12 athletic director told me, there's not going to be a boycott of the SEC when it comes to scheduling. Uh, as a matter of fact, he's opposed to boycotting the SEC because those cross, you know, is, is, and those, those sectional interconference matchups are integral to just was what's best for the game. But I'm going to tell you this: I don't this alliance on a gentleman's agreement. I would not be surprised if it's ripped up, torn up, gone, ne- never sees the light of day. Because again, we're three to four years away from this thing even starting. My question is, and this is where every single school is impacted, Sarah, is what happens next? All it takes is one power school, that alliance, to say, you know what? No, we have this offer over here. And then what happens? That's why everybody should be paying attention to this alliance. Quote, alliance. Yeah, don't get me started on trusting gentlemen. I'm just saying. (laughs) You could go on for hours. Coming up on Spain and Fitz with Ian Fitzsimmons in for Fitz. A friend of the show is going to fill us in on all things WNBA. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Oh, uh, You can tell Ian Fitzsimmons is on the show tonight with that kind of lead in. He's filling in for Jason Fitz tonight here at Spain and Fitzsimmons on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. And uh, we're going to get back to some football stuff. Lots of uh, lots of conversations to be had about the news of the day. But Monica McNutt, ESPN basketball analyst, joins us now because we had a wild night in the WNBA last night in just a couple weeks until the postseason gets underway. We wanted to have her on to reset things. Monica, you know, we obviously had the long Olympic break, and now we come back to a pretty stacked standings where there's a couple teams who have established themselves at the top and it's real thick in the middle especially now with Elena Deladon back with the Mystics she helped them snap a four-game losing skid do you think they've got enough time to work their way into the postseason the Mystics thing what's up Ms. Simmons it's the first time I've been on the show with you too the Mystics absolutely have time to work their way back in remember the WNBA structure is the top 18 and I, I have to check right this second but when I called their game last week they were sitting right at nine They've won a couple games since then, and, like, you just need a shot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you talk about an elimination moment with the Mystics with Elena Delgado right returning to form. Ten right now. There you go. Mm-hmm. So, I, listen, the thing about this most recent one, too, not only was Elena Delgado fantastic, Tina Charles didn't play. 
And Tina Charles is like one of your three MVP candidates this year. And so we've seen Tebow as a coach of the year winner in this league stir the pot just so. Maisha Hines Allen is a beast and has has been able to maintain the productivity that we saw from her in the bubble. Um, and then you've got other players on that roster who have had the Olympic experience and so are coming in confident. So absolutely the Mystics can come and play spoiler for sure. Monica, my, my brother was a special teams coordinator at Delaware when Elaine Deladon was there. And he said if he could – and, and he probably killed me for saying this on air right now, <laughs> but he's like, if I could have put her heart into her work ethic into half our team, my gosh, mm-hmm. we would have won, won the whole damn thing. Explain to fans what she has accomplished in coming back off that injury in 19 to being back right now. So I think part of the appreciation for what she's done most recently, Fitzsimmons, is kind of her entire arc, right? Like, your brother was at Delaware. I was at Georgetown when she left UConn and remember remember being like, oh, that's interesting, but also good for us because there's no shot of being UConn if she had joined that roster with Maya Moore and company, right? (laughs) So she is someone who is truly driven um, by passion. She obviously went to Delaware to be closer to her sister, which is well-documented. So I think... When she steps out on the floor, and she talked about this in her first game back with Holly Rowe postgame, there's so much gratitude, and she understands not taking any of these moments for granted. So not only the last time she played did we see her win a WNBA title, but she also has gold medals to her credit as well. And so she understands that that window is not forever. And Tina Charles also is someone who's in the league chasing down an opportunity to win a title. And so to me, when you do anything with a tremendous amount of gratitude, you're going to take care of it because you know how fleeting it is. And listen, man, what was it, 18, 18 points in 18 minutes or something crazy yeah. like that the other night? Yeah. Like she's just returning to form. So even if she didn't have the heart that we're talking about, Fitzsimmons, like the sheer six five skill set I mean she's compared to KD on the men's side there's literally nothing on the floor she can't do hard or not like she's the one of the toughest guards in the league yeah uh, 682 days away from the court to your point it's not just those two back surgeries but the Lyme disease that's taken her out mid-season so many Mm -hmm. times before every time she's on the court she's grateful for it and they are grateful to have her back for sure it's Spain and Fitz Ian Fitzsimmons in for Fitz tonight Monica McNutt joining us on the Goodyear hotline to talk about all things WNBA this was a huge night last night not just because of the return of Deladon and the end of that skid but we saw Sun Aces, an 18-6 and six Connecticut team that a lot of people didn't have very high in preseason power rankings. And the Aces, who are 17-7, and seven, the Sun get the win, uh, and they clinch a playoff spot. What did you make of this matchup? Is it one we're going to see again in the postseason? Ooh, I think so. I, I really think so. It, it's going to be, obviously, the way the standings are going to shake out matters. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see this one again or if we saw um, – the Sun in Seattle, like those are the top four teams mm-hmm. in the league easily. Like we're going to get more of that. But what was unique about last night is you got to kind of follow some of the pettiness, if I may say, of the league this year, right? Uh-huh. And Kurt Miller, Liz Cambage, oh, yeah, had a little tete-a-tete in that first game. They apparently hugged in the second game. And so last night was the final game of the three regular season series, right? And so the Sun not only sweep, but – um, Liz Kimbe struggles a bit in this one. Like the Aces went away from her after the first quarter. Asia Wilson had a tough night, one of 15 from the field. And John Cole Jones doesn't get into double figures for the first time this season. Mind you, Brianna January is going off in the first half. In the second half, uh, Dewana Bonner is going off, right? And so you just see this Connecticut Suns team commitment to defense. Now, the fun part of it for me, calling that game last night, is as much as Liz Cambage gives it to the Connecticut Sun fans, they give it right back. So it's a really great atmosphere, and we know that Connecticut 
is one of the hotbeds in terms of the consumption of women's hoops. But we easily could see this matchup again. And pregame, now this is really interesting. Kirk Miller alluded to that there might be a chance that we actually see Alyssa Thomas this year. And so we talk about Elena Deladon coming back from that 2019 season. The team that they beat in the finals was this Connecticut Sun team plus Alyssa Thomas. And so last year they looked different, obviously, with John Cole Jones opting not to participate because of the pandemic. But this year they are back and raring at the bit. Most intriguing story for you coming into the postseason is what? Ooh, most intriguing story. Um, I think you got to look at what Minnesota is doing and what Lasia Clarendon has been able to do for that squad and the boost um, that they've been. And then, like Cheryl Reed, you can never really count her out, but I don't know if people had this team contending to this point in the season. Um, even last year with that young group, uh, they surprised some people, particularly late in the stretch. But I think we knew about the top three teams in terms of Seattle, maybe not knew about Connecticut so much, and Las Vegas. And I think people actually have really high hopes for Chicago. And right now it feels like they're flying under the radar a little bit. Well, so that's because so Candace was out. If you played just a season of the games where they've had Candace, my squad is up top where they were supposed to be. No, no, no. I, trust, trust me, Spain, I got you. But, like, injuries are a part of the game. And so they're a little bit under the radar right now. If she's going to be healthy down the stretch, then, yeah, like, they're back in the business too. They, I would put them probably higher in the boat with the Mystics in terms of you've got these prolific athletes that just give them a ball, a decent whistle, and an opportunity, and anything can happen. I completely agree. Monica McNutt is with us, ESPN basketball analyst. It's Spade and Fitz, Ian Fitzsimmons in for Jason Fitz tonight. What's going on with Kennedy Carter, and is it a flaw of the WNBA that they can be this quiet about it, whereas I don't, I don't think we could see this in the NBA if a star player like that had an incident with their team and then just we get nothing. You know what I'm saying? And you and I are one that are – we're big on the equality, right? I think this is an example of the W still growing. Like, if you get into the weeds, there are different reports out there and all that. And I think in the celebration of year 25, part of it is the branding and all the things that we want to celebrate, and we're just going to skip over some of the things that uh, maybe we don't love. <laughs> so right. I think there's some of that. But I also think not just the Kennedy in particular. This Atlanta Dream team has been in flux literally since – preseason when Nikki Collin opted to go to Baylor. Um, so there's sort of this notion around the league that you get sent to Atlanta when you kind of disappointed in other places, unless you've been drafted there as like Amonis Billings has been, and she's obviously put up decent numbers over the course of her career in the league. I, I think in some ways Kennedy's reputation has preceded her because uh, if you were in women's college basketball circles while she was at Texas A&M, it, it, it wasn't everybody's cup of tea. Like, you couldn't necessarily deny the buckets there, but maybe not the easiest person to get along with and the greatest teammate award there. So I think the league in general, and and I don't think by anybody's fault, but, like, there's so much to celebrate this year. But that's kind of like, mm, okay, like, it's a little salacious, but, like, look at what Minnesota is doing. Like, you know what I mean? Totally. I just think that you're right. When we talk about equality, the, the dirt, is as big of an interest to the fans as the good stuff. And so when we when we don't allow those conversations and debates to be had around women's sports, we end up being cheerleaders. And it doesn't take that next step forward unless we allow ourselves to talk about the stuff that's ugly, too. And, um, and now, also, we, we I agree like with, gossip. I agree we with like you tea. 100% on that. <laughs> I agree with you 100% on that thing. But I will say, Atlanta's not very good, too. You right. know what I mean? Like, if this was yeah. happening in Seattle, then we'd be all over it. Absolutely. Hey, Monica, before we turn you loose, what, what are your thoughts on, on 
players reclassifying and, and leaving their, uh, before their senior year. Like Amani Bates, you know, the outstanding player out of, out of Michigan, is going to Memphis, but he's leaving before his senior year. Quinn Ewers, quarterback out of South Lake Carroll, left and went to Ohio State and, and just bypassed his senior year. To me, and Sarah and I were talking about this, that's a tremendous year of adolescence that you're missing out on. How, how do you feel about players reclassifying and leaving early to go to college? Sarah, I know you're reading everything. Fitzsimmons, did you have a chance to catch the GQ article with Lamella where he basically said, forget school? <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that wasn't great so, to me, in my opinion. <laughs> so, I don't necessarily agree with that philosophy. But Stay I do out of think, school, kids. Fitzsimmons, <laughs> yeah, we're in an era of, like, specialization with a capital S-P-E-C-I-A-L, right? Like, and I don't know that it's necessarily healthy, but who am I to tell a young person and their family what is or isn't best for them? And so I have the same approach to this that I had with Dennis Schroeder and his performance with the L.A. Lakers. Cool. Bet on yourself and you better show up because you're not going to get the time back, especially when you start playing around with this idea of amateurism. And I, I, it's interesting to me, especially at the high school level, because with NIL and the climate now, you can sign an agent in, in high school and stay with your friends, develop, and still go to college and extend those deals in whatever college town you decide on. So, listen, it's not for me to say. I do hope that more parents, families, athletes take a holistic approach. But I understand, listen, man, this specialization thing is real. And if you are keyed in on getting to these multi-million dollar contracts and that's the path you think is best – I'm going to just sit over here in my TV lane and talk about it. You always, you never want to deny a family if that's something that they need and want, but you always hope that what's best for the, the kid and their future and everything else is chosen over immediate satisfaction and gratification mm-hmm. of, that, of that money. Hey, Monica, awesome stuff. As always, looking forward to getting closer to the playoffs in the WNBA. Appreciate the insight. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, guys. Be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter Dr. Pepper. Twitter feed and call in line ESPN nations presented by Dr. Pepper college football is back. And so are the fans return to glory with fansville by Dr. Pepper. The one fans deserve it's at Sarah Spain at Ian Fitz ESPN, not Jason Fitz, Ian Fitz ESPN, the original Fitz. Ooh, I'm going to hear it for that one coming up. Your daily dose of inspiration with a nod to the pod next on Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Wow. Is this a Ian Fitzsimmons jam too? I'm learning so many new things about my co-host. No. It's Spain and Fitz, Ian <laughs> no. Fitzsimmons. This is his favorite song I'm I'm hearing now in, the, in my ears. Blatant his all-time lie. favorite song. <laughs> Ian Fitzsimmons filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Also, news from the Spain and Fitz Nation. Uh, we we had that gentleman hit us up earlier on the Dr Pepper Twitter feed, and he said, "Nice try, still nothing about the uh, about the alliance." So I guess he's going to need a little bit more evidence that there's something really cooking between those conferences uh, in college football. Uh, last night, the Paralympics began, and my guest this week on That's What She Said podcast happens to be one of the stars, Mallory Wegman, who has set 15 different world records in the pool. And we sometimes on this show like to play a little nod to the pod where we share a little bit of the interview to get you teased a little bit. Go listen to the full thing. And one thing I thought was interesting about Mallory is there's so many different stories about how Paralympians um, were either injured or born with disabilities and found themselves competing in the Paralympics. And hers was something that could have happened to any of us at any time. Let's take a listen. Here's this week's nod to the pod. Going in for my injections, I I was receiving them because I had back pain 
following shingles. I, for whatever reason, got this weird luck of the draw and had shingles my senior year of high school. And it didn't fully go away. I was left with some pretty intense residual nerve pain. And so we started doing epidural injections to help with that residual pain. And I went in on January 21st, 2008 for what was to be my third and final injection in this series I was doing. And, you know, it was a day procedure. I had the day off from class. It was Monday, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And so we scheduled it that day, knowing it was just a quick, easy outpatient procedure. And I'd be home in the afternoon and back at class Tuesday morning and, and didn't think anything of it. And so when I was ultimately paralyzed due to complications during the procedure, you know, it was completely out of left field. I, I went in very healthy with the exception of, you know, I was having a little bit of pain, but, but that was about it. And, and so to have that happen was, was, was really challenging. You know, I, I talk about it in context of, in many ways, it was my sudden moment of impact. And at the end of the day, every single one of us experiences sudden moments of impact and, and really moments because there's more than one that will happen in our lifetime. And, and they always come with, you know, no forewarning. That, that's, that's the kicker with sudden moments of impact. They're, they're kind of those moments in our lives that have the capability to change our trajectory, but the moments that we don't anticipate, if you will, they're not the things we plan and prepare for. And so that was January 21st, 2008 for me. I was two months before my 19th birthday and I had no idea what life in a wheelchair was going to look like. I had more questions than answers at that time. And, and there was a lot of fear and a lot of uncertainty. As a result of the injection, you were left paraplegic with loss of movement from your abdomen down. Was this an accident within the procedure and the doctor doing it? Was it a result of the shingles or something else within your body that coincided with the injection? Or do you, do they know what went wrong that day? It was definitely a result of the procedure. Um, there's still a lot of questions to that day. And there's been questions that have circled that day for 13 years. And, and I think for me, after my injury, that was the hardest part, right? When we go through these these moments of adversity, when we face trauma, we yearn for answers because we're seeking closure. And, and I think that that's one of the biggest things this journey has taught me is that oftentimes we, we don't get the closure we're seeking and we have to find a way to create it for ourselves. And, and through the process, when I was writing Limitless, it was really interesting because I went back to my journals and read my journals from early on in my injury when I was kind of grappling with all of those questions and yearning for those answers. And I, and I really realized through those pages that ultimately we have to find the strength within to create our own closure because it's tough. And, you know, 13 years later, even, even having those questions asked, it's that reminder that like, there's a lot that went on in the four walls of that room that day that I still don't have answers for. But yet every day since I've had to find a way to move forward with the realities of what that day brought to my life. And, and that can be challenging, but I think that's something we, we all battle to some extent when we face trauma. I don't, I don't know that we ever get all the answers. And even if we have some answers, there's always, not, always another one we wanna know. And so there is something to be said about finding that strength and courage within to create that closure for yourself so you can not move on because I don't think moving on is feasible, but you can move forward 
into where it is that you're going. For more, please subscribe and listen to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain on your smart speaker or wherever you listen to podcasts. Ian, there's so many great stories from the Paralympics, but that one partly stood out to me because of just the everyday nature of just getting an epidural for something and that changing her life forever. You know, like my, my bride is, we, we've, you know, given birth to two beautiful girls. Uh, and when, you, when you're, you know, giving birth, an epidural uh, is, is part of that yeah. that process for a lot of people. Well, not everyone, but a lot. And I, I can't even fathom, man. Uh, Sarah, that, uh, that's amazing. And I, I can't wait to hear the entire interview. Uh, but the Paralympic Games, I mean, that's just, uh, that's something that, that it, Bruce Arian said this years ago. You know, your worst day is somebody's best day. Mm-hmm. And you think you got you have it badly? Listen to that young lady, you know, or, or Matt Stutzman. I'm watching CBS Sunday Morning with my wife, um, you know, on 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 this past Sunday, Sarah. And Matt Stutzman is a, is a is, is an, a world class archer who doesn't have arms. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's like well, I'm like I'm looking at this going, wait, what? I mean, and, and he he drives a car, not not you know modified for him. Your, your your typical car he drives with his feet you know he and mm. he is a world-class archer and he shoots a bow and arrow with his feet i mean and that young i mean i i just tip my cap and i bow down in in absolute awe to these people to to anyone uh that improvises adapts and overcomes all odds in life and she i cannot wait to hear that entire conversation yeah, you, you want to watch to see the incredible feats of athleticism, to hear the stakes and the stories of what they're competing for and why. But you also want to watch to remind yourself of just what you said, the the inspiration of these yep. people who have a boundary or some sort of adversity put in front of them. And not only that they get past it, but so often they say they're grateful for it because of what it taught them about life and what really matters. We can really take that to heart in our own lives. It's Spain and Fitz, Ian Fitzsimmons in for Jason Fitz. Coming up, we'll discuss one of the most fascinating careers in recent memory and how he makes a good team a title contender. It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. A lot of conversation about the new quarterback for the Rams. We've seen him for a long time in this league, but we've seen him in a Lions uniform. Does he get a chance to finally have some more meaningful games and show off how good he can really be? There's a story about just that. It's the ESPN cover story by Seth Weckersham. He's going to join us now here on Spain and Fitz Simmons. Ian Fitzsimmons filling in for Jason Fitz tonight. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. So, yeah, over on the uh, Goodyear hotline, it is the author of that ESPN cover story. Has new Ram Matthew Stafford found his happy place? Seth, thanks for coming on. Hey, it's great to be with you guys. And it's great to, you know, it's always great to be with you, Sarah. And it's great to be with, you know, a, a different Fitz. Different fits. The the original fits, I'm told, but don't tell my other yeah, radio yeah. co-host that. Um, oh. I want to talk about the vibe I got from Matt Stafford in this interview because it felt like he was more than happy to talk to Cooper Cup, who was in the room with you as they both signed uh, various autographs. But when you tried to ask him direct questions about almost anything, he was very taciturn. He seemed like someone who was really focused on not giving anything away. How difficult is it to try to do a story like this and get into somebody, dig in, when uh, they're so protective of information? Well, one of the things that you learn very quickly is that it, he likes to be called Matthew Stafford. Believe oh, good, me, I good, made good that note. mistake. Yeah. <laughs> um, Matthew. But, you know, it was interesting because I, I, I showed up at this hotel ballroom in Agora Hills, which is north of L.A., and the entire ballroom was filled with 
memorabilia. And it was all Matthew Stafford memorabilia. And just rows and rows and rows of helmets and footballs and, and cards and tickets and jerseys. And so I kind of just tagged along with him and we talked as he signed all these things for almost four hours. And um, he was an interesting conversationalist because there were certain things that he would be really free to discuss. And, you know, he would swear a lot. He was, he was obviously like at ease, but when it came to certain football details, he, he would clam up fast. And like one of those, for instance, was, the name of a protection that meant one thing in Detroit. It means another thing with the Rams. And it was interesting because he, he ended up talking about what the name means and how difficult it is to, you know, you don't just have to learn a new playbook. You have to forget what you've learned. And I thought that was really interesting because in a very real way, as he starts with this new team and has all these opportunities that he wanted in a, in a very real way, he has to forget who he was back in Detroit and kind of reinvent himself as somebody different in L.A. Seth, my brother coached him for five years in Detroit uh, as part of the special teams, you know, either as the, the coordinator or assistant teams coordinator. And it's one thing I learned about Matthew Stafford is that dude does not like to lose a coin toss, much less a game. <laughs> he, I think he's one of the more underrated and underappreciated talents that we have seen not just in football but maybe in sports. When it comes to the player and, 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 and the person, that, that combination when you, when you sat down with him, how driven is he right now to just go and win big games on the grandest stage in football? Because if Jim Caldwell was still the coach in, in Detroit, I think he's still in Detroit. Yeah. I, you know, at one point I asked him, I was like, well, you know, what do you want out of the rest of your career? And, you know, what he said was very earnest and very humble, very humble and kind of humbling. And he just said, you know, I just want to play in big games. That's it. And, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing. I mean, he's been a quarterback in the NFL for 12 years, and he's known for, you know, putting up a lot of yards and a lot of touchdowns, and he has no signature moments. And I think he's very aware of that fact that, you know, football legends are authored in late January and early February. And in the 12 years that he's been in the NFL, think of all the quarterbacks who have created these magical moments in the playoffs, and he simply hasn't done it. And he knows that. And I think that it's haunted him. You know, one of the things we talked about was, you know, what losing does to you and, and the mental gymnastics required to come back and, you know, from kind of reality, really, and convince yourself that you can win when you're at a place, you know, like Detroit. And, you know, what he said was fascinating. I mean, you know, he would go to the bedroom and lock himself in the bedroom alone after losses, and he would be incredibly quiet. And then, you know, by the next day, he would, you know, have his wife convinced that the team was going to win the Super Bowl. And he had to find a way to forget about the win-loss record, forget about the coaches, forget about everything that's going on that's facing him and, you know, perform as best he could for the people in the huddle that he shared with. And... um now it's different, though. You know, I think in Detroit, he learned the limits of his abilities and, you know, what he could transcend and what he can't. And now it's very different. Now he's considered the missing piece on a team 
that thinks that it's Super Bowl caliber. And, you know, I think that he's, he's done a job very well for 12 years and still doesn't know exactly how good he is at it. And I think that he's really eager to, you know, to learn. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Ian Fitzsimmons filling in for Fitz. We're talking to Seth Wickersham, who's the author of a new article, I guess, cover story for the online ESPN, The Mag, about Matt Stafford. Um, Matt Stafford was a groomsman at a wedding I went to two years ago and one of the nicest, most down-to-earth guys. And I think that attitude of take the loss, take it hard, and then come back and somehow spin away to see a positive about getting to spend time in, in Detroit with your friends and family, getting paid a lot of money to play a game, all of that is such a perfect mindset to have when you're playing for a team like the Lions. It also stood out to me, uh, the part of the of the column where he said, you know, the reason that he doesn't trash talk the Lions or Detroit or any of their bad decision-making or drafting or the number of different coaches he had is because he wasn't perfect either. That's a remarkable mindset to have for a guy as good as he was like you said a couple different times had the most fourth quarter comebacks in the league for a team that never got any wins how does he have that mindset where he blames himself when objectively he's much better than the team and franchise he was on yeah I mean I think that he's just engineered to look inward first and you know I think that like if you play in a place like Detroit that's probably a survival mechanism you know but it was not – he wanted out of Detroit, but it was not an easy decision. You know, at the end of last season, they lost to the Vikings in the season finale. It was kind of a classic Matthew Stafford Lions game. He played well, but he wasn't quite good enough to overcome the team mistakes and the ones he made his own. You know, he, he missed a pass on a two-point conversion that would have tied the game. They lose. That night, he tells his wife, Kelly, you know, I'm going to go in next day. I'm going to ask for a trade. I'm going to do it. And the next morning she wakes up and she comes down to the kitchen and he's emptying the dishwasher, completely quiet, carrying on this conversation in his head, reconsidering, reevaluating, and, you know, filled with doubt about this decision that he was so resolute about. And finally he said to her, all right, I'm going to do this. Wish me luck. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of athletes, I think derive, a lot of pleasure and pride from kind of sticking it publicly to their employers and exercising this power. And, and he didn't. And I think that he, I think that he kind of looked at it like an admission that he had failed on a certain level because when he came to Detroit in 2009, when the city and the team was at its lowest, he wanted to deliver a championship and he couldn't get it done. When you Quit. go ahead, go ahead, Sarah, go ahead. Oh, I was just had one last question, but if you want to get something in, go for it. No, it's all you. All right, Seth, we had talked to, over text back and forth. I've been picking your brain. You know the Patriots better than anyone, and you have a new book out about the Patriots. So I wanted to ask you, in light of what we're hearing about Mac Jones today, absolutely crushing it at practice, do you think it's still as simple as Bill Belichick really wanting to give Cam the job if he can? Yeah, that's a great question, and I wish I had an answer. I don't think that anybody who knows the Patriots, even the ones who know them very well, knows the exact answer to that. But I would say this. I mean, I think that, you know, the Patriots must be annoyed at what happened with Cam Newton. Mm -hmm. And all of that said, they round, you know he's eventually going to play. I think that my gut tells me that they want to continue to be as patient as they possibly can maybe wait till the middle of the season, you know, depending on how Cam plays. I just, I, I don't know this for a fact, but my, I would, 
my gut just tells me that they don't want to send a rookie out against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Foxborough mm. in early October. Again, no one's told me that, but, you know, Cam Newton has gotten a lot of opportunities in New England. Will this be the last one? I'm not quite sure, but I, I still think that, you know, the Patriots want to be patient with Mac Jones and they want to be patient with Cam Newton. Interesting. The book is It's Better to Be Feared, The New England Patriots Dynasty and the Pursuit of Greatness. Order it. I already have it. Ha ha. You have to wait a couple months, but order it. It's by Seth Wickersham and read his cover story on Matt Stafford. I'm sorry, Matthew Stafford. Matthew. Seth, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Thank you guys so much. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Small business protection just got easier with more than 30 coverage options available. Progressive has you covered. More at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Straight ahead, sit them or start them. Mac, Justin, everybody, it's coming up next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Ian Fitzsimmons' personal playlist continues on as he hangs out with me here on Spain and Fitz. Filling in for Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Anything you miss, you can find on Apple, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast app, the ESPN app. Who's selecting yes. the return music? Uh, I'm not sure, but it's I'm here me. for it's Taylor. Me. It's definitely me. Thank you, Kendra. Kendra. I'm here for Tay-Tay. Kendra. I'm not sure about some of the other ones, but I'm into that one. Mercy. All right. Back to you, sir. <laughs> Uh, It's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Now that we have a little bit of a better idea who's sitting, who's starting, and we've had enough of a look to decide whether we think those decisions are good or not, we're going to rule. Do we think the right decision has been made about these players, these rookie quarterbacks, getting the start or getting more time? Let's start with my Chicago Bears. I have heard so many people, the majority of people, arguing that Justin Fields is not only a better quarterback in terms of skill, athleticism, speed, arm, et cetera, than Andy Dalton, but also because of his ability and agility is a better choice behind a very suspect Bears offensive line that lost Tevin Jenkins to surgery. He's out. That is struggling to figure out uh, whether Jason Peters still got it. And I get all that. But I'm of the opinion, that is the rarer opinion, that I actually really like the strategy of Justin Fields sitting right now I said I thought, you know, as long as Andy Dalton isn't blowing the doors off being amazing, I see Justin Fields about three games in. Others are telling me probably a little bit longer. I think it's both smart to let the O-line get continuity, and I also think in a media market like Chicago, which will love you if you're good, but tear you apart if you're bad, if he has a bad start or two, it's immediately bust talk. It's immediately, well, this isn't the future of our franchise. This is a tough market for a quarterback with high expectations. I'm okay with not blowing it early by getting him to get bad habits or possibly killed behind that line before they can figure it out. Do you agree, sit or start Justin Fields? No, I I don't have a problem at all with it, with Andy Dalton starting. Uh, I'm with you as a matter – and in in large part, the NFL game is a a bit different, right? Uh, Everyone's talking about – you mentioned the offensive line. When he got blasted and had his helmet knocked off Mm -hmm. over the weekend, that's on him. That's the furthest rusher on an empty set, right? He has to account for that. The quarterback has to account for that. And he missed it. Those are things you have to learn. And that's a preseason game. That's going to be that much more vicious, right, in a regular season game. So I have no problem at all with Andy Dalton starting the season. But I would not be surprised. As a matter of fact, I would be surprised if at some point, meaning 
Where's the bye week, Sarah? That's your squad. I'm going to guess around right. week 9, 10. I that know may that. be where the bye week is. That's a, a, a natural point for if you're making the, the transition from a veteran to a rookie, the bye week is always something to look at. And that I haven't had my field. fantasy draft yet. It's uh, November 14th, whatever week that is. Late in the uh, year then. Okay. Yeah, well. week. Yeah, yeah. Late in the year. I think it'll be earlier than that, but I, I agree yep. with that. I also think uh, one thing, you know, people are critical of Andy Dalton. I get it. Um, you know, theirs want something great, and they were not excited about that signing, particularly because they could have had him for less the year before and not wasted draft capital and the whole full situation, everything else. But – Andy Dalton has two different seasons where he's thrown for 4,000 yards or more. In the entire history of the Bears franchise, they don't have a single quarterback who's done that once. So let's just slow wow. our roll a little bit on not seeing Andy Dalton as at least a serviceable quarterback. That is a very depressing stat, and I'm sad that I have to keep repeating it. Okay, moving on. Trey Lance, he of the incredible pass that has everyone believing he's ready. He who played one game last season and one season before that. I am here to sit, Trey Lance. You are a Super Bowl contending team. You were a couple passes away from winning it with Jimmy Garoppolo. As long as he stays healthy, he is the answer right now. Give Trey Lance some time to mature before you throw him in there. He's played one game in almost a year uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm coming into this preseason. I, I'm uh, Look, porn star Jimmy, uh, when you have a, guys around him that are healthy, <laughs> right, then, yeah, he, he's beyond a serviceable quarterback. He's a very good quarterback in the NFL in Kyle Shanahan's system. Jimmy G is going to start week one, and the ideal situation for the Niners is that Trey Lance does not see the field mm-hmm. this entire season. Sit, learn, see Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes. Completely agree. I'm here for the context of a situation helping decide, and that context is you're ready to win now and you've got a quarterback to do that. It's Spain and Fitz, Ian Fitzsimmons in for Jason Fitz tonight. All right, let's go to Zach Wilson. This is a no-brainer to me. This team was built believing that he would start. He's looked the best of all of them so far in the preseason, and you really got nothing to lose there. I feel good about Zach Wilson starting. Oh, he's going to start, and I hope I'm wrong because I, I, I screamed going into the draft. Uh, and Kalani Sataki, his, his coach at BYU, screamed at me going, you have no idea what you're talking <laughs> about. And a lot of coaches have told me, Sarah, that I have no idea what I'm talking <laughs> about. But I thought it was, should be Mac Jones you know, mm. or Justin Fields. And, I thought Justin Fields was the second-best quarterback for e- sure. Either one of them. I mean, I, I, it's, it's, I covered them both a lot in college. Flip a coin, in my opinion, which would, uh, just depends on what you're looking for. You know, it, it's it's vanilla or, you know, or, or you know, uh, Rocky Road and, and – and, cookies and cream, whatever, right? I mean, they, they both have unbelievable skill sets. I hope I'm wrong about Zach Wilson. I really do. And I know it's preseason. He's looked great. But the key words, it's preseason. pre-season. And it's the Jets. That's it. That's and it's it. the That's Jets. It. But I hope and I'm yet, wrong. I really yeah. do because I like the human being. I love the person, Zach Wilson. I mean, we're already in a bizarre world when we're like, yeah, the Jets is the best situation for a rookie quarterback. Okay. Oh, I mean, I guess very low expectations. All right, quickly. Trevor Lawrence, I told you this it's earlier, done. I'm very torn. I know he's starting, but do you think that's the right move? Yeah, Troy Aikman went 0-11, got his brains beaten in, right? But the game slowed down so much for him uh, by by playing in 1989. I think it's the exact same kind of scenario for Trevor Lawrence. Finally, it's Spain and Fitz, by the way, in Fitzsimmons and for Jason Fitz. Mac Jones, we sure heard a lot uh, about his practice today with the ones, uh, but a lot of people think, wait a little bit, let Cam – Get in there and, and, and be the leader. What do you make of that? 
You're asking me to think and get inside the hoodie's head. Huh. <laughs> Good luck. Well, what do you think they should do? I think it's still Cam week one, and then it's Cam's job to lose. And if he doesn't perform well and turns it over, it will be a very quick hook, and you'll see Mac Jones. I agree with you. I actually think that Cam might give him a better shot to win right now because of his experience and because he was in the system last year, assuming that this COVID break doesn't set him back. Uh, whereas I think when it becomes time for Mac Jones to be a better option, Hoodie will have no problem making that move. So Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contracts, no compromise. Straight ahead, we're going camping. Destination AFC East. We'll continue our work around all of the camps as we get ready for the start of the NFC NFL season. I'm sorry. It's coming up next. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz, Ian Fitzsimmons filling in for Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Follow us on Twitter at Sarah Spain at Ian Fitz ESPN. And don't forget to tune into the That's What She Said podcast hosted by yours truly and fueled by Gatorade. We appreciate their continued support of women's sports journalists and athletes here at ESPN and everywhere. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. If you've been listening to the show, we know we've been going camping around the league. Every single team, we're hitting up a representative at their camp to get an idea of what's going on there before the season starts. Let's go camping. Marcel-Louis Jock, our Bills reporter, joins us now to go camping with the Bills. Yeah, hear so that music, we heard from the GM Brandon Hold on yesterday. a second, Marcel. I know. It sounded like a question, but it wasn't. Uh, we, uh, I was going to first comment on how excited we are that we get to hear that uh, song 32 times <laughs> before the season starts. Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you is uh, what we were talking about in the commercial break, the, uh, the COVID cases. Give us an update. Yeah, so we heard from GM Brandon Bean yesterday. Essentially, uh, a trainer came into into the facility on uh, on Tuesday, did not feel good, uh, went and got tested. He came back positive and was sent home. Then, uh, you know, the, they alerted the league, the Bills alerted the league, and the league came back with, uh, with five players who – actually, uh, four players who they saw as close contacts. It was Cole Beasley, Gabriel Davis, Star Lodulele, and Vernon Butler, and and actually, uh, Vernon Butler practiced that day. Uh, I think their the NFL's designation came a little later in the day, um, and and Bean said it was a it was a complete surprise to them. Otherwise, Butler would not have practiced. And the team itself sent home Matt Milano and AJ Klein just out of precaution. The team deemed them close contacts, but the NFL did not. So both those players did return to practice today. Uh, I know it's a little convoluted, but. Uh, you know, luckily, all of these players are either starters or high-value reserves. So none of them had none of them had a spot on the final roster that was in jeopardy or or up for grabs. Um, so I guess they they lucked out essentially. The staff member, the trainer, was fully vaccinated. Obviously, none of the players who sent home were uh, per NFL policy. If you are fully vaccinated and be in the close contact, you do not have to quarantine. This rule is only for unvaccinated players. Uh, it, it, and it, it's, it's frustrating from the Bills standpoint. And when we spoke to Bean yesterday, he, he looked exhausted. He looked like somebody who has been dealing with these, these not, just, not consequences, but these protocols and, and these situations for the better part of a year and a half now. Cole Beasley is a, for people who don't know, is a free spirit. Uh, I covered him. I'm based in Dallas, Marcel, and, and he's different, man. When, when he gets his opinion uh, set, his when he gets his spurs dug in, he's not he's not going to back off. Um, that's 82 catches for nearly 1,000 yards. 
and he is adamant about not getting vaccinated. So when his name popped up, how different did it feel? How much did that resonate throughout that Bills community when Cole Beasley was one of those guys that had to be, you know, quarantined away from the team? Uh, you know, uh, the, the people who have grown weary of, of Cole's uh, Cole stance uh, really dug their teeth in yesterday. Uh, I mean, I'm still – I still got my notifications muted and off. Like, it's just uh, – it's uh, turned into a little bit of a – I don't want to say cesspool, but uh, – you know, it, it's just like a lot of the same opinions rotating back and forth, and it's it's like pong, man. It's like mm-hmm. pong if neither of the paddles are moving and the ball's oh just going directly oh back and forth. Just back and forth. We're talking to Marcel Louis Jacques, and we're going camping with the Bills. I want to ask about the defense. A lot of struggles pressuring quarterbacks last season. Is there any reason to believe they're going to be better? Yeah, if you if you keep an eye, if you watch what they've done over these past two preseason games, the personnel groupings that they've been able to put together without two of their main pass rushers in Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison are, are impressive. You're seeing lineups with AJ Epinesa and Greg Russo on the outside, Boogie Basham and F.A. Obata in, in the inside, you know, the four DN type lineups they, you know, they could do something similar with even Ed Oliver inside. I mean, it, there is just, it, it's like a, a, a kid in a candy aisle with, with when it comes to, uh, the different combinations and the different lineups and rushes that they can come up with. So uh, you can see it in Sean McDermott's face. You know, he doesn't smile all that often with us, <laughs> but you can see it in his face that he's really excited about the possibilities of this season. They were very intentional in improving that group this offseason, and all signs so far point to them having succeeded. I love Boogie Basham out of Wake Forest. One, because, yeah, I mean, he gets after the quarterback, but two, also, Marcel, his license plate says Q B Hunter. <laughs> Come on, man. I mean, I, I want to hug the guy, right? I mean, Careful. Right? I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. When you look at your rookies that you have in there, and especially Russo and Basham, how much burn are they really going to get with that defense when it comes to a team that is looking to chase a Super Bowl? Yeah, I, I think that uh, Russo in particular is going to be – a, a regular in the rotation. I, I don't think or Basham is, you know, on the outside looking in either, but Rousseau has really been impressive these past few weeks. He's had an amazing summer for a guy who's taken, I mean, like 15 months off the game. He didn't play in 2020. Yep. He did have those 15 and a half sacks uh, in his first season ever really playing defensive end. And he's starting to show why those numbers were not a fluke. Uh, uh, Jerry Hughes starting training camp on the NFI list. I think opened up a lot more first team reps for Russo and he took full advantage of them. Uh, you know, I don't know if he's going to, he's going to end up starting, um, you know, one of those jobs more or less belongs to Jerry Hughes. And then AJ Epinesa has been fantastic through training camp as well. He might command the other one, but I would not be surprised to see a whole lot of number 50 uh, when it, when, when, when the bills defense takes the field this season. It's Spain and Fitz, Ian Fitzsimmons in for the other Fitz. We're talking to Marcel Louis-Jacques here on ESPN Radio about the Bills as we go camping around the league before the season begins. We know that Josh Allen got paid. We know he got paid for good reason. Took the biggest third-year leap in league history last season. All sorts of single-season records. Some people argue that, that other teams know what to expect from him now. I don't see any reason for him to take a step back. Is there anything, either personnel-wise, of the, of the weapons he's throwing to, different schemes, injuries, anything else that would lead you to believe that there's a chance he will take a step back this season? I don't think so. I, I think he might even take a step forward. I 
as mm-hmm. wild as that sounds. I think this is going to be an improved run game. It's an improved offensive line for no other reason than getting their guys back healthy. They played zero snaps with their top five offensive linemen on the field last year. And I think the run game suffered for it. I think, and then in turn, the pass game, as good as it was, still somehow suffered for it. So they've got Stephon Diggs back. As long as he's on the field, there's a, a very high floor for how bad your offense could possibly be. Emmanuel Sanders replacing John Brown, I think, is an upgrade. Cole Beasley is, you know, you can disagree with him off the field all you want. On the field, he's one of the better slot receivers in the NFL. Gabriel Davis is still good. I mean, the the list of pass catchers just goes on and on and on. I could talk your ear off for it. I, I think Josh Allen has another excellent season. Uh, you know, he's, his name's going to be in that MVP hunt. I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to win it because while guys like Aaron Rodgers and Pat Mahomes and Lamar Jackson exist, uh, you know, that's a lot easier said than done. But he's definitely going to be in the hunt for it. Uh, he's had an excellent camp. The team's really excited about him. Uh, you know, he still stayed humble, even though he's Oprah rich now after that six-year extension. <laughs> he's still the same guy. I mean, what kind of guy is woken up at 3 a.m.? being told, you know, hey, we're close to getting you 150 million guaranteed plus another 110 on top of that. Then goes back to sleep and goes to practice like nothing happened. <laughs> like that is uh that's leadership, that's humility right there. It's a guy who knows where he came from, so uh I, I think he does have another excellent season. Marcel, but, I, every time I cover a Bills game, I go to Anchor Bar, right? But you're telling me that's not the place to go if ooh. I really want the best chicken wings where the chicken oh, no, wing no, was no, founded no, no. in Buffalo. That, uh, that that TikTok, no, 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 no song is just playing and, and, and repeat <laughs> on my head. No, you got to go. No. You go get a Cajun no. honey butter barbecue from no, Barbell. No, no, no. You can go get the hot wings at 911. Um, you can go get uh, hot honey mustard from Macy's Pizzeria. That's mm. that We've got a pizzeria that has better wings than most cities wow. have in, just in general. I mean, there are – we only get a minute, so I'm, I'm just feeling overwhelmed here with, with the thoughts. But basically, <laughs> don't go to Anchor Bar – don't let me hear you. Don't let me hear you going there ever again, man. I, wow. I live really close wow. by. I'm, I'm gonna come drag you out like and get your if yeah. I do. Yeah. <laughs> also, <laughs> hey, you know, you always have Applebee's and Dave and Buster. Shout out to Marshawn Lynch for teaching us the hot spots in Buffalo. So I know it's super early, but we are asking every reporter to give us a prediction. 17 games. Remember what you got? 17 games. They went 13 and three last year. I think they go 13 and four this time around. You know. You look at that schedule, they are getting a first-place schedule. They do have tough teams, you know, tough road games at Tampa Bay and at Kansas City. But every other game on the schedule looks really winnable. So, I think they win the games they they should. They might drop a few just because nobody's perfect or maybe there's players having to sit out, so on and so forth. But all in all, 13-4, and AFC East champions. And I'm going to go even a step further. I think they win the AFC. I think they beat Kansas City as long as they stay healthy. Uh, Marcel, thank you so much for the time. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me on, y'all. Spain and Fitz. Ian Fitzsimmons filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio. Uh, quickly, a little news from the Spain and Fitz Nation. You know when I, uh, when I get some credit for what I say, I like to point it out. Well, I am underscore Cuban Pete said, me and Sarah Spain agree on the Dalton Field situation. Listening to your show right now, Shawty, you talking that real talk. Thank you. He just hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. And uh, thank you for agreeing with me. I think too many people getting impatient over there about Justin Fields. Coming up on Spain and Fitz uh, with Ian Fitzsimmons, by the way. Remember that when you're tweeting whichever Fitz is on here. We do some quickies. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. 
I've managed not to call him by the wrong name all night, but that's because his name is basically the same. It's Spain and Fitz Simmons. Ian Fitzsimmons hanging out with me tonight, filling in for Fitz, who I'm certain is cheating on me with another slot. I know that we're in this slot right now, but somehow he always finds some other slots to hang out with. It's ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. When we have a lot of stories to get to and not a lot of time, we do it the only way we know how. Yeah, we're not subtle around here, are we? Cheating with other slots and getting into things quickly. Let's talk quickly. Go there, Sarah. About but, hey, I'm going show. to. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> HR is always one call away for this show. You'll learn that quickly. Uh, the Bucks have extended Coach Bud. It feels like an inevitability after you win a title. Uh, a couple years that he gets. Were you convinced enough by the adjustments he was willing to make this year in the in the playoffs that this is the right move for them to do? Not just because they have to after a win, but because it was the right thing to do. Absolutely, and in and, 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 and large part because your superstar says, "Yeah, that's my coach." Mm-hmm. And when the superstar says, "That's my coach," then you keep the coach. That's simple. And find me find me a, a, a coach at any level, whether it's Nick Saban in Alabama or to Phil Jackson, right, with the Bulls or your Bulls. You know, or the Lakers, where you, you don't yeah. you don't have great players. So players make the coach that much better. Look, down 0-2 against the Nets, down 0-2 against the Suns, finds a way to help, take home the Larry O. Yeah, definitely done. Number one reason, Giannis says so. I completely agree. I also think we need to get used to allowing coaches to evolve. What we asked of him was to great do point. what he did this offseason, and now we could talk about him as a different man and a different coach than we did a couple years ago. We don't need to carry over a narrative that doesn't appear to be current anymore. I think that was the right move for them. All right, next story. All right, so the Yankees extend their win streak to 11. I'm not sure if they're quite underway yet. They're trying to make it 12. Interesting stat. This is the longest win streak. The last time they won 11 straight was 1986. Didn't make the playoffs that year. Are you convinced that the true Yankees are here now and this is the best version that's going to stick around? Or is it a lot of smoke and mirrors knowing that you've got Giancarlo Stanton reaching base for 21 straight games? You've got them managing to escape despite a lot of problems with the closer situation and Araldis Chapman. You've got Britain probably going to be gone. Are you thinking this is the Yankees for the rest of the year? Are you a little worried about that bullpen? Nope. They, they had, the best, had the best record in the American League since uh, July 31st. It, hands down, you know, by far, bar none. And I want to know, where is that fire Aaron Boone crowd right now? Mm. How you doing? Running the show. Yeah, I'm talking about Jake Loki Lennox right there. <laughs> Loki, I'm talking about you. 11 straight for your Yankees, and you still want your skipper fired. The team is sensational right now. It doesn't take it doesn't <laughs> Sarah, take a genius to, to coach wow. this type of talent. Wow. <laughs> it's amazing. I that just won't move off his opinion. I respect nope. it kind of. I really respect it. Got to find Kinda hills like to die. My dial. opinion that uh, I'm not watching baseball unless I'm forced to for work right now. I heard the Cubs have had some interesting wins lately. I haven't been watching because it hurts too much. I found myself watching Javi Baez swing roughly 11 seconds before the pitch got to him. And instead of <laughs> laughing, I thought to myself, he should still be I doing that him. for me. I miss him. He should be Cubs doing fan. that for us. Yes, I should be entertained by him making great plays and then inexplicably swinging nowhere near a ball. That's my terrible swing. Oh, you're a Cubs fan. You understand, Ian. It's tough out here. 84, 89, 03, man. Finally got it done. There you go. Oof, woof. Uh, Next story. Spain and Fitz, by the way, guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. It's Ian Fitzsimmons filling in for Fitz here on ESPN Radio. We're doing quickies. This is a great story to me. The Orioles, who are potentially the worst team ever. 
I am not exaggerating when I say that. They are in the conversation to be one of the worst teams ever. They are currently 38 and 86. They've lost 19 straight games. They're two losses away from breaking the AL record for most losses in a row. Four losses away from the MLB record for most losses in a row ever set by the 61 Phillies. So, yeah, it's real ugly in Baltimore. And the most that you could ask of them is when they have exciting players come to town, let the fans see those players that play for the other team. But no, Shohei Otani, the most exciting thing in baseball, arrives. Baltimore fans have something to look forward to if they're still showing up for any particular reason, maybe to be on the premises for that record-breaking streak. But they walk him, and the Orioles fans boo their own team for walking him. They were down 8-1 to one in the third inning already. Let Otani hit. I, can you give me any good reason not to boo your own team for that? That's on the record? No. I mean, I, I, I commend it. Like, look, man, we paid good money. We're not here to see your sorry butts. We're yeah, here exactly. to see show may, show hey, right? That's it. I mean, look, I, I, I'm a bad parent. I told you this story in our pre-show meeting, Sarah. Shohei Otani, I live in Dallas, Texas, where another horrendous baseball team resides, right, in Arlington, Texas, and the Texas Rangers. Shohei was pitching against the Rangers on, on a, like a Monday night, and I should have taken my kids to that game, taken a night off from work, and gone and, and taken my kids to see a generational talent, somebody who hasn't done – he's doing things that Babe Ruth didn't do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do it as a parent. Way to I go, feel Dad. I'm a failure as a dad. Yeah. O's fans, you made up for it. Well done. Well done. Not a I'm great decision. You. One of the worst decisions I've heard recently, perhaps just behind a friend of mine who went to the Field of Dreams game and left at the beginning of the ninth. Whoops-a-daisy. Oh, you – what? That Tim Anderson walk off into the court. You need to out that person, whoever I it is, by name. No, I have promised – that Craig Isaacson's name will. Oh, no. I said it. Oh, no. Craig, you are a uh, JV beef brother, dude. That is uh, awful. That uh, is. It's Ian Fitzsimmons filling in for Jason Fitz tonight. JV. We're doing a little quickies. Next story. Yeah, Serena Williams pulled herself out of the U.S. Open because of a hamstring injury. She wants to fully heal. Venus Williams, a leg injury. She's out as well. First time since 2003 that the U.S. Open will be without either of the sisters. And the first time since 1997 that a Grand Slam event went off without Serena, Federer, and Nadal. Unbelievable streak to have those Folks in ev- in every single Grand Slam, at least one of them, up until now. I guess the question is: Is there a reason to think that Serena's run for 24 is over? Uh, I'm always holding out hope because I love watching history, you know, and and historic moments, especially in the realm of sports. So I hope not. Uh, I, I want to see it because um, I think we take greatness for granted, uh, mm-hmm. especially in, in our generation right now. So I hope not. But it's gonna be, it's a hard sell. It's a hard watch right now because there's not a lot of star appeal in the U.S. Open, Sarah. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the thing that keeps me believing is, first of all, longest run of major appearances without winning a title, so kind of do, unless this is the end. And also, since the 2018 French Open in the women's side, she's got the most match wins, the most round of 16 appearances, most semifinal appearances, the most final appearances. If she was starting a career, we would think that she was en route to a big win, and instead we're wondering if it's over. I'd like to hope she's got one last one in her because she's got that consistency more so than anyone else right now. Coming up, we're going to go camping 
to the fallen empire of the New England Patriots, but are they on their way back up? It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. What are we still doing on your radio? That's a great question. I should have mentioned extra half hour of Spain and Fitz tonight because we got some MLB baseball coming up in about a half hour. That's why you heard Freddie with today and Gold Jr. and you heard Ian Fitzsimmons right here with me all night filling in for Fitz. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We're going to keep the camping going, and here's that song you love every time. Let's head out to Patriots camp where Mike Reese joins us on the Goodyear hotline. Let's start with the news of the day, obviously. Sony Michelle headed to the Rams for two late-round conditional draft picks. We knew this was a position that the Patriots had a surplus at. Uh, you know, were you surprised at all by the decision? No, Sarah, I, I wasn't surprised by it. You know, Bill Belichick last week had called it a great situation for the Patriots at running back. Basically, they had six players for what would be a maximum of five spots. And Sony's salary of $1.79 million, you know, plus his role as a backup to Damian Harris and the emergence of the rookie, Ramondre Stevenson, the fourth-round pick out of Oklahoma, sort of made him the most likely candidate to possibly go if they were going to trade someone. And, uh, you know, the Rams with their running back situation make a lot of sense as the suitor to go get him. From the Rams side, I know we're focusing on the Patriots, but just for anybody listening right now, uh, what are they getting in Sonny Michel? How much does he have left? Because to me, I still think he has a burst and he's not that old. So the biggest thing, Ian, with with Sony has been injuries. You know, um, well, he hasn't missed a ton of games, per se. Uh, He's dealt with some knee issues, you know, uh, coming out of college. uh, They cost him some time, a quad injury. But when healthy, um, you know, he's been – they don't probably win the Super Bowl without him a couple years back. Of course, that game was against the Rams, the team he's now playing for. Um, And I will tell you, I thought this training camp for Sony – was maybe the best he's actually looked in his time with the Patriots because in the past he had been sort of like pure running back, you know, not a factor as a pass catcher, but he really seemed like a more well-rounded um, and explosive back in this training camp. And their running backs coach, Ivan Fears, really felt like uh, he had had a hell of a training camp up to this point. So I think the Rams are getting Sony healthy and really playing some of his best ball. We're going camping with the Patriots and Mike Reese here on Spain and Fitzy and Fitzsimmons in for Fitz. Let's talk about the unfortunate case of Cam Newton having to sit out, allowing Mac Jones the opportunity to take a whole bunch of reps with the first team. What did you see today and how much more difficult might this decision be for Bill Belichick as a result? Sarah, I felt like I witnessed a significant moment, you mm. know, like watching practice today. It, it did make me – my first thought when I left practice was, at the least, this gives Bill Belichick something to think long and hard about because Mac was really good in this practice. And I say that with sort of conviction because I know the Giants coaches felt that way. Like, they felt Mac carved them up. And so knowing that, um, you know, I, I can sort of deliver it to you with conviction because what I, what I saw was a Patriots offense that looked like the traditional Patriots offense, like two minutes drill, moving down the field, empty formations. The tempo is good. And probably the one visual I would want to share with you is Mac leads a two minute drive, 80 yards down the field for a touchdown. The practice is ending. He's kneeling on the sideline. 
Bill Belichick comes over to him, gives him a high five, a low five, whatever you want to call it. And I thought to mm-hmm. myself, like, when Bill Belichick does that, like, that's when you know it's a job well done. And that also tells me that Patrick Graham, defensive coordinator for the Giants, wasn't playing vanilla defense. That, it, that they, they were actually showing him looks that you're not normally going to see in a preseason game. This is, a, this is, you know, team on team practice. How vanilla was it from what you heard? Because what you, what you just described tells me Bill Belichick was thrilled that Mac Jones was making the right reads against the complex scene. So, Ian, I, I, I have to sort of check myself on the vanilla versus the complex as it relates to the Giants because what I was watching more than that was Mac's command at the line of scrimmage in terms of setting the protection, being assertive, you know, hearing his voice. And, I, you know, so – and it was hard based on the angle we were watching. Okay. Sort of sometimes they put you far away. So I wouldn't want to mislead anyone in terms of vanilla versus complex. But I would tell you, like, the Giants were impressed. Like, this wasn't like – you know, this wasn't like any, like, standard practice. Like, they were coming after them. They were competing. These were, you know, two teams that wanted to have the better day. Wow. Mike Reese is with us talking about the Patriots camp here on Spain and Fitz. Ian Fitzsimmons in for Jason Fitz. I can't get a grip on the expectations for this team. I ask some people, they say Super Bowl contender. I ask others and they say that Mac Jones starting or whatever decision making should be based on a slightly longer window that hasn't quite opened yet in terms of true contention. It sure feels like, especially of late, that's leaning a lot more towards people believing this is a win now team and the decision should be reflecting that. And and I think I understand why you're sort of in that sort of mindset, Sarah, because we haven't seen Mac do it, right? And and I think to Ian's point, like in the regular season, like there will be no question of vanilla versus complex when what mm-hmm. you're seeing from another defense, right? Like it's always going to be complex for the most part. And so until we see it in the regular season from Mac, let's say he is ultimately the choice, like I think that's why there is some question. I would say this, Sarah, like the defense is going to be better. Like there's no question about that. It can't get much worse than it was last year, but they spent a lot of money. Their front seven's going to be harder to run on. And well, they might have some depth concerns in the secondary and Stefan Gilmore's situation remains unresolved with his contract. Like I think just by the defense alone, the Patriots should be much more competitive and it raises that bar on what they can accomplish. Mike, how much of a message was the hoodie not just sending to Cam, but maybe even using Cam as a sounding board to send a message to not just every player, but anybody in the organization? As you've told the story so many times, he's the one that coined the phrase, availability is your best ability. How Mm. much was he delivering a message using Cam to the rest of the team when it comes to COVID, vaccines, whatever it may be, you ain't making the club in the tub? Ian, I I don't know, you know, if Bill was thinking message as much as how can I end this media availability as fast (laughs) as I possibly can. You know, that that was the biggest sense I got from from yesterday when we were peppering him with questions about Cam and how this situation possibly changes his outlook, you know, on the quarterback position. And, And so I think the one thing that I take from what Bill Belichick has said this week was, you know, he said consistently, Cam's our starting quarterback. But remember, there's that context of unless someone performs better than him or the starter is unavailable, 
Well, the last three days, Cam was unavailable. And so maybe it does change the outlook. And that's why I have to tell you both, I'm so intrigued about tomorrow when Cam comes back. Like, does he just come back as the top guy in practice? Or is it Mac mm. taking the top reps now? Like, it just sort of pushes us into tomorrow for a lot of potential intrigue around the Patriots. Okay, a quick one before we get your prediction. And we're talking to Mike Reese about Patriots camp. I like to ask people this. What's the local story or focus that's not making it national, whether that's a position battle, a weakness, a strength? What are you guys talking about with each other that's not quite emerging because everyone's focused on the QB battle? Definitely. So I'll give you a real quick one each on both sides. Do they have enough at receiver with Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, and Jacoby Myers as their top three at receiver? And what happens with Stefan Gilmore? And I know that was mm. mentioned quite a bit nationally, but like really important player hasn't been on the field yet. Mm-hmm. All right. Prediction time. We are sending, assuming we remember, which is a big assumption for this show, a prize to the reporter who is closest to predicting the season record for their team. It's early, but you got to give it to us. Remember 17 game season. I like it. Um, you know, I think their over under number is 10 and a half. And I said, I feel comfortable taking mm-hmm. the over. So I'll, I would do conservative uh, with 11 wins. So that, if my math is correct, that would put me at, would that be 11 and 6? Is that That's what we're right. doing now? That's Good right. And there, interestingly, <laughs> I'm looking at the other uh, division reporters we've had on. It's going to be tough to get that many wins in this tough division because our Dolphins guy had 11 and 6. Our Bills guy had 13 and 4. You've got the Pats at 11 and 6. Thankfully, Rich Savini only has the Jets at 6 and 11, but that might still be a tough push here six? in this division. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, listen, Brooke Pryor's got the Steelers at 13 and four. Uh, You know, I I think Courtney Cronin had the Vikings with 10 wins. I don't know what she's seeing out there, but uh, people are optimistic. That's part of the fun of the preseason before your team smacks you in the face with how much they suck. Uh, Not mine, of course. My team's going to be fantastic. Hey, Mike, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. I love it. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Ian. Great to be with you. Ooh, lot to think about there, Mike Reese. Really feeling Mac Jones today. This is going to be a tough decision. And boy, is Cam going to really regret whatever led to that COVID protocol error. Coming up on Spain and Fitz, we're still trying to pick up the pieces of my mind that were blown by the drone shot last night in Hard Knocks. We'll talk about it next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You'd think we'd get all the country music when Jason Fitz is in, the former country star. But it's all Ian Fitzsimmons inspiring the folks back at the shop to give us Luke a lot Bryan of country. Is not country music. Ian loves Luke Bryan. What do you what do you call it? Rock music? It's not twangy enough for you? Yeah, it's uh, Luke Bryan. I'll, I'll just leave it at he is not. That's not country. That's it. Is he western? No, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I think I only like the country that isn't country. Then I'm I'm not big on the. You know, lost my dog, my car, my wife, and, you know. I was in a country music video, though. Have you ever seen the music video for Ladies Love Country Boys? No, I have not. Trace but, Adkins? But I guess well, that, that is now a homework assignment. So, yeah, if you oh, ever pull it up, good old Sarah Spain trying to be an actress in L.A. Oh, really? White, white shirt, red belt, black skirt. I am among the ladies chasing Come Trace on. Adkins down the street of downtown Hollywood. So, uh Yep, video vixen, Sarah Spain. Uh, <laughs> I, I am 
That's a Google search the moment yes, we get off yes. the air. One Done. of two music videos, and I'm also in a music video for the Italian Britney Spears, which I thought meant little to nothing until I went to Italy and I was in a club in Milan, and I mentioned it to someone, and they were like, what? No way. So IMDB right there. Yeah, Sarah there you go. Yeah, pretty impressive. Really, uh, really lo- missed my calling there, being a country music video vixen. That's it's Spain and Fitzsimmons. <laughs> right. Ian Fitzsimmons in for Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests have joined us all night on the Goodyear Hotline. Don't forget, tune into an NL West battle tonight as the Padres host the Dodgers. Coverage begins at 9.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Boy, Padres, man, it's so frustrating. I want them to be good. I yeah, want them you. to be validated for the moves they make. I think they've lost 11 of their last 12, maybe 10 of their last 12. They've hit 202 over those dozen games. It's just, it's a rough watch to see them put in the work in the offseason and it never quite comes to fruition. You know, and the worst part for them is you look at Sam Fran and our guy, Chris Bryant, both of us being Cubs fans, you know, yeah. and the Giants a, are just rolling right now. Foot bomb tonight. I mean, what if, what if they've won what seven of our last ten? I mean, the mm. Dodgers are red hot, and the Padres are the complete opposite. I think they they've lost eight of their last ten. So, yeah, I feel badly for the Pods because that 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 city needs some excitement in, in their sports world. Having lost the Chargers, you know, the Padres early on were phenomenal, but I am financially invested now in oh. the pods tonight because oh, our part man owner, Loki, part oh oh okay i see i see yep i'm i'm in i'm in with a little <laughs> a little parlay brew crew and the padres loki and i went ahead and said you know what Let, let's uh, let's try and pull them through tonight so i'm okay so they both have to win for you to win that is correct by any amount i actually cheated and loki doesn't know this i took the padres plus the one and a half it was only minus mm. 120 and then the brew crew to win so there what you go. Okay. I wow on you. i did Wow. It was only minus 120, Loki. I mean, come on, dude. That's cold. Wow, the cheating not limited to Jason Fitz. I'm starting to think it's the <laughs> it's the time slot. Although it's got to be the time slot. Although we're technically out of our usual time slot now, so I suppose it's just the you're name the of the show. Yes. If you're a Fitz and you're paired with Spain, you're a cheater. Uh, I'm glad I... Glad my husband never co-hosts the show. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it seems to be a problem. Um, last night, we were watching Hard Knocks, and my mind was blown by the drone shot i don't know how many of you were watching this but um oh I, I like this i like the idea it's it's not ian's regular time slot so it's not cheating it's kind of like if you're out of state right thank you <laughs> it doesn't right, count there you go. <laughs> i'm sure if this was your normal time slot you would never be cheating now Loki's look, look, look gonna be mad at me because i took the plus one and a half that's right anyway. that's right well we'll see who ends up coming out on top maybe both of you right uh Hard Knocks last night. Did you watch this? I know you said you've been to the Dallas facilities, but if you, first of all, it was building porn. Secondly, it was like Jerry Jones porn of like the the best thing you could possibly imagine is for all of us to admire the Dallas Cowboys facility with one long, you know, completely straight through shot. I guess it took over three hours to get right because, you know, anytime the drone hit something or, or something went wrong, they'd have to start over. They needed X door to be open and this person to not be in the way. It was incredible. Uh, the most impressive part to me was whomever was flying the drone because yeah. the, 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 whomever this cat was flew it through like car windows and this and that. I mean, yeah. it, that, that was the most impressive part. But the, the star is the second part of Jerry Jones building his empire as an ode to himself. Yeah. The first was yeah. AT&T Stadium, you know, the Death Star, right, Jerry World. 
and then the, the star in Frisco. I mean, I, I, Sarah, I, I can't – if you've never been there and living in Dallas and having covered the Cowboys for a while, I, I can't tell you how unbelievable it is and what Jerry did to give back to the community. I mean, th- that it's based on high school football. A lot of people don't know that. Like huh. all the all of the 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 Cowboy Ring of Honor members, their 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 images are up on, on the wall in the, in the star, but it's not their NFL stats. It's not even their college stats. You know what's up there? Wow. Their high school That's high school cool. sta- stats. Well, because there are college teams that play at that indoor twelve thousand the high schools field, they're, right? They're, there are six high schools that, that yeah. play their home games at the star, and every, and they're the, those those teams on the pillars in both end zones. They're leading. You know, players, quarterback, running back, whatever, their stats are up all day on those pillars. It's cool. I mean, yeah, he really, really did a cool. great thing going back to and giving back to the community and embracing high school, Texas high school yeah. football. It's awesome. It's Spade and Fitz, Ian Fitzsimmons, filling in for Jason Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio. Uh, quickly, in case you didn't know this, I learned this from Peter Schrager, who's doing a podcast after the Hard Knocks. I, I just saw this online. If you remember the viral video of the drone shot in the bowling alley, starts outside, goes through the front door, goes down the lane into the back, that's the same production company, Sky Candy Studios, out of Minneapolis, wow. that did this drone shot here. Um, I'm going to leave you with this. I know you're a dog person. I found this funny. We won't have time to talk about it, but I thought you would appreciate this. I saw, I don't know if it's real, but at Joan Amont on Twitter said, today the vet told me that since COVID, they've had to treat a number of cats with depression caused by irritation that their people are at home all day. Obviously, it's not really funny, but that's the most cat thing I've ever heard. Apparently, dogs do not have the same problem. That's the most cat thing ever. It is. Just so mad that my person is home all day. Meanwhile, dogs are suffering from separation anxiety when their people go back to work and the cats are like, why are you here? Feed me and go away. Oh, it's so perfect. Uh, We got Padres Dodgers, 930 Eastern. That's right now here on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Ian, thank you so much for hanging out. Fun times. Thanks for listening to Spain and Fitz. See you later.